0: Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the second of our daily Comic Con podcast specials here at San Diego. Today we discuss the likes of Elysium, Looper, The Big Bang Theory, The Walking Dead, and Marvel's new one-shot, Item Forty Seven. And we talk to Elysium director Neil Blomkamp and come helmet to helmet with Judge Dredd himself, Mr. Carl Urban. The we, in this case, being Empire's crack team of comic conners, James White and Nick DeSemlin. Now, James Jaime Blanco, which is your real name. You spent so long today sat in your backside watching panels in the main convention centre that I believe you need some preparation Hall H. Is this right? I do, Chris. Very good. That's That's a good pun. We're off to a good start. And today was the day that TV, which has generally been relegated to Sundays here at Comic-Con, made its big move into Hall H on a Friday with the likes of The Walking Dead, The Big Bang Theory and Game of Thrones all monopolising the Big Age for a while. Uh, what was that like? What did you see? It did, and it was pretty huge. Uh, big Bang Theory, obviously
1: massively popular show, uh, big audience, people seem to like them, pretty funny panel, lots of jokes flying back and forth.
0: Any new footage or they started filming, was the season 6
1: they're coming up on? Season 6, they haven't started. A couple of weeks away from starting to film season 6. They showed the season 5 gag reel, which is the sort of thing you normally get on a DVD
0: bonus extra. Frankly, it was more the cast were more of the appeal than the... uh, Ah, yes. And it didn't include... I mean, Nick, you interviewed these guys. It didn't include the star of the show. I mean, he is a star of the show, let's face it. uh, Jim Parsons, who's Sheldon Cooper.
2: Who's in New York uh, doing a play
1: at the moment. Is that
0: where he is? I believe so. But didn't
2: they... send somebody to space, or does something like that happen in the panel?
1: Uh, yeah, they, they had a big thing about how there was going to be a big surprise announcement, which we all thought might be some new cast or something like that, but what they had was they had an astronaut come out on stage, and they <laughs> set up a competition for everybody who asked a question in the panel. They were all given a silver envelope, everyone got a prize, but one got a golden ticket, which treated them to a suborbital plane ride with the astronaut, which really? basically means they go about sort of uh, Mac 3 something like that and they sort of go just just not quite into space but almost Well, wow, who won uh, a very chatty young lady who I believe had asked uh, Kaylee Cuoco about kissing her co-stars
0: there you go is that how you pronounce it Kaylee Cuoco I, no. I also thought it was Kaylee Cuoco
2: it's actually
1: Cuoco <laughs> <laughs> how
0: about the guys when you spoke to them uh, Nick because last year uh, we were staying at the Hilton Bayfront Hotel, and we kept running into Johnny Galecki everywhere we saw, uh, everywhere we went. We, he was just, he was just there. And again today, he's, he's there. It's in, he's always in, there H, in I Interviews. Turn. He's um, here now, watching us. Put some clothes on, Galecki. They
2: were very nice, and they were there, and force. So all the girls were there as well. Yeah, it was good. They haven't seen this, any of the scripts for season six. They, they said that they start shooting in two weeks. Okay. Early August. So, uh, Howard has gone into space, so he'll be back at the beginning of the series. Right. They were talking about guest stars. They had Stephen Hawking and Leonard Nimoy on last season, so they were Mm. talking about how they can possibly top
0: that, possibly President Obama. (laughs) Um, But in geek terms, how can you top that? How can you top Spock and Stephen Hawking? I don't know. Big Bang Theory was followed
2: by Game of Thrones, and they were backstage, and they were geeking out big time over uh, over the Game of Thrones cast, so they went over, and there was a bit of... Crossbreeding or whatever. Cross—that's a th- the horrible, horrible term.
0: Crossbreeding. <laughs>
1: cross <breeding, laughs> cross Crossbreeding. fertilization <laughs> It's it old. The, like the big it. bean theory. Given, given how, given what normally happens in Game of Thrones, especially in the sex scenes, that doesn't seem like a very pleasant picture, <laughs> if you ask me.
0: Yeah. Can you imagine Wallowitz losing his head? <laughs> going, going full bean. <laughs> by the way, I think we've just spoiled lots of stuff in Game of Thrones. But anyway, it doesn't matter if you don't know that by now. Then come on, catch up. But and, and what was the Game of Thrones stuff like?
1: Uh, Game of Thrones was interesting. Uh, George R. R. Martin uh, was moderating the panel, uh, and he talked about sort of all sorts of things. He talked about creating loads of the characters. Uh, he did confess to having probably the biggest cast on television, and joked that he started to needed to start killing people off, mm. which got a huge sort of response from the audience. Was sort of no, you can't kill X Y Z. Unsurprisingly, some talk of sex, some talk of boobies, mostly from George R. R. Martin, which was surprising. Okay, frankly, cool. but yeah. Uh, Fun stuff.
0: Uh, and, uh, Nick, there was another uh, show with a huge cast that was in, in town today, because we started the day with a Walking Dead breakfast. Very uh, peculiar way to start your morning, uh, cheating breakfast with the cast of The Walking Dead. And, yes, uh, on yeah. prison trays, because there, there was a prison theme, wasn't there? At yeah. The, uh, at the uh, Andaz Hotel, we were on the roof. And so you got there, and it was a breakfast, and I was like, where are the plates? Because I'm very demanding. And uh, then the the guy pointed towards the words to plates, and there were metal prison-style trays. On, uh, on the table. And there's about ten tables. You sit yeah.
2: down and then there's a member or two of the cast sit down at each table. That's right. And so you kind of have breakfast and do interviews at the same time. Yes. And in my case, I'm sitting opposite Andrew Lincoln you fittingly lucked out. eating egg. Yes. And uh, <laughs> normally, Re- Norman Reedus uh, who, who was
0: eating an enormous pile of bacon which he says was in keeping with his character. Oh, fantastic. So, yeah. You, yeah, you really lucked out. You got like a really, really good table. You got like the, like, I guess this, well, obviously the star of the show and mm. then you know Norman Reedus, Daryl Dixon is like the the big fan favorite of the show. So it wasn't you did bad. well. It wasn't I, I got um, I got uh, Robert Kirkman, who's the creator of the Walking Dead, and I got Charlie Adlard, who's a pretty, uh, the British artist who has drawn the Walking Dead for for a long, long, long time. Uh, and uh, weirdly enough, their issue one hundred of the comic book was on the tables for all the journalists to read, and in that there is a massive character death. I'm not going to give anything away here, but, you know... You you did earlier. I did earlier on during the the panel. I asked someone on the panel about this character death because it might pertain to them. I'm, I'm really trying to tread around this. And Jonathan Ross, who was moderating the panel is only on issue 75 of The Walking Dead, as it turns out. And so he was putting his fingers in his ears going, oh, don't spoil it, don't spoil it! And I kind of spoiled (laughs) it for him, and uh, I kind of feel bad. And I've already apologised via Twitter and personally to him, uh, but I'm now... he's not going to listen to this. But, you know, but Jonathan, if you are listening to this, I'm really, really, really sorry about that. But hey, public domain, fair game. Uh, But it was was interesting to see that, you know, there's a lot of love for shows like Walking Dead and Big Bang Theory and Game of Thrones and Comic-Con, which wasn't really the case a few years ago where those panels were confined to smaller rooms Ballroom 20 or the, the there's a big room at the Hilton Bayfront, but they would never get it within a mile of, of something as big as Hall H It's interesting because it's partly because
2: some of the major studios have not come to Comic Con this year and partly because TV is just huge at the moment. There's so many big shows. Last year, the Big Bang Theory was in the, uh, the one of the ballrooms, and uh, there was a queue round the block to get in. Most people didn't get in. Now it's in
0: Hall H. Mm. Uh, I also, today, headed off to the Hard Rock Hotel to talk to a man who's piling up the franchises. He's been in Lord of the Rings, Born, The Chronicles of Riddick, and Star Trek, and now he's hoping to add one more, and why not? After all, he is the law. It's Judge Dredd himself, Carl Urban. Yeah. The Comic Con is something that's always, uh, I guess, loomed large view. mean, over the years, I mean, you've been in a lot of of geek films. Uh, I remember you being here for for Doom, yeah, for example. Wow. Yeah. Uh, but 2004, that would have been something yeah, like uh, that. I forgot about that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can't forget about Doom. It's got the great first person shooter sequence. Yeah, that is. Yeah. That's
3: the best thing about that movie.
0: <laughs> I remember talking to you at the time about that, and you you were there was hopeful, there was hope that there might be a, a trilogy or. Doom two doom, doom
3: three yeah, <laughs> yeah you, uh, you must have been one of the only people who actually ended up seeing the movie <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pay to see it
0: yeah. good <laughs> journalists, you know we get it for free, but now you're now you're obviously here with with dread, which is a project that that seems to me to be close to your heart i mean you you've insisted from the off on keeping the helmet on mm-hmm. so clearly important to you
3: Oh, well, yeah, yeah really important you know i um I didn't read many comics growing up, but dread was one that I did I mean I think it was like um, Judge Dread and Frank Miller's uh, Batman Dark Knight literally those was the only, only comics that I read Oh, and fabulous Fairy Freak Brothers but um, so it was very very important to me uh, and you know you know approaching this film you know when I heard they were making it I was instantly nervous um, that it wasn't going to be done right uh, yeah. and I read the script and Alex Garland just did such a phenomenal job of of um, distilling the uh, the whole dread character and the character of Mega City One and um, putting it into a very contained um, action-packed character-driven yeah. um, piece, uh, and that's that's why I chose to do this movie.
0: In the script, was there because I, I know that Alex wants to do this right as well. Mm. So i I'm imagine in the script. The
3: helmet didn't come off at any point. That wasn't no, it wasn't necessarily your decision. It no, was no, 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 absolutely not. Uh, in fact, you know, when I read the script and discovered that he didn't take the helmet off, that's when I put a call through to my agent and said, I want to meet these people. Mm. And I walked into that meeting and they said, OK, just so we're clear, Dredd doesn't take the helmet off. And I said, I wouldn't be taking this meeting if he did. Mm. So we were all on the same page.
0: But there's there's a there's a difference between reading the script and going, OK, this is great. Dred mm. doesn't take his helmet off. I get to play with a helmet on the entire time. And then actually shooting with that on. Mm. I imagine it was quite difficult, and not just in terms of oh, yeah. peripheral vision, but in lots of other ways.
3: Well, the vision was fine. It was just an extraordinary challenge. It's like how, you know, you've got a, something a very narrow bandwidth yeah. to play with, and Dredd is such a complex um, character in many ways. He's, uh, he's a very deep character. Um, so I had to make choices. You know, I was determined distance myself from anything that had come before in terms of other movie adaptations i didn't want my dread to be a posturing uh character that was based in ego and bellowing out you know his lines i wanted mine to mm. be the complete opposite i wanted it to be him, him to be tightly wound you know a you know a, a, like a Tight, like, like a coil, like a spring, yeah, you know, yeah. like a like a panther. And there's, the, there's a rage and violence within there, but it's far more interesting to me to see a man struggling to control it than to have it let out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and then obviously I had to think about the other elements, the voice. Uh, the voice uh, was described in one of the comics in my research as like a saw cutting through bone. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of... Kind of where I went with that was my interpretation of w- what that meant. But there's a fine line between doing that raspy voice mm.
0: and not tipping over the edge into tough guy parody. Yeah, and it, 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 you know, I'm really impressed with just how you managed to to line it. Even he doesn't always do the. Yeah. He, he's very much he, he talks in a very normal fashion at, at times.
3: Yeah, yeah, he almost I mean, uses it as a weapon, the voice. Yeah, he does. No, it's exactly. It's one of his tools. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that. that was that's just a huge challenge. You know, you're right. That would be um, very easy to to parody yourself. And I think that it's most successful when it comes off most successful when it's when it's really truly grounded in the emotion of what's going on in the scene. Mm. Uh, you know, when the stakes are really high. Mm. And the body language as well, because when you have half your face mm-hmm. shot off, you can't
0: use the eyes. The eyes are the window to the soul it's all about the chin and it's all about the voice and the body language how difficult was it to find to find that and to do different things with your chin because i, I was just amazed by how many different ways you could use your lips and your chin to to you know to convey
3: what dread what was thinking it i mean the body language is, was hugely important you know character acting is how you do what you do and so without the the benefit of the eyes all of that stuff takes on an extreme significance and there was a um, you know it was really important to me one of the you know, aspects that you know I loved in the uh, in the comics was there's a wariness about him. There's a you know, Mega City One is a meat grinder, yeah. And it was important to also try and capture that the fact that this he, day in day out that that dread is, you know, his heroism is defined by the fact that he is the guy that is going into the building when everybody else is running out. and yeah. he is having yeah. to deal with situations that nobody should have have to deal with, but that's his job. Absolutely. It was good
0: to see uh, Wood Harris. I'm a big fan of the wire. Yeah, he's fantastic. It was great to see him uh, uh, in this film as well. And it was good to see uh, Lena Headey as well because uh, she oh, plays... How brilliant is she? I oh, mean, she plays Mama and is really interesting, laid back almost. You know, she's clearly high on slow-mo most of the time as well. But yeah, yeah. she's so chilling. She doesn't play the lines the way that you, know, you might think. She doesn't scream or shout. There's no hysterics. It's just very, mm. very calm all the way through, very understated.
3: Yeah, I mean, she's brilliant. She's an incredible asset to this. I mean, her her um mama is such um a tour de force performance uh she's just scarily talented and you know i remember one day being on set and i'm standing there in you know i'm standing there my my full dread gear on and she's You know, it was the big face-off scene between us, and she's got her hands on the on the railing, and she's looking at me, and we're just staring at each other. But she probably—I don't know—she if knows that I'm looking. She can't see my eyes, (laughs) and she just starts laughing, manically laughing. Right. And I felt my blood begin to boil, (laughs) you know, as as dread. I was. Yeah. You know, it it really got to me. She was—that's how good she is. She knows how to push buttons. That's everything you need.
0: Uh, What was it like when you first turned on the costume?
3: Did it go through many iterations? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had about two weeks in Cape Town, two and a half weeks before we started shooting, so every time I would go in for uh, rehearsals, I would put the costume on. Even though I wasn't anywhere near a camera, I would just to get used to it, just to get used to moving in it, because it came with its own you know, complex set of issues. Yeah, um, We had this um, uh, period where we got taught by um, ex-British military types how to you know, move and, and how to clear... Um, uh, uh, corridors and rooms, and um, and I would do it in full, full costume, wow. always. And um, the interesting, the one cool thing we did, don't try this at home, kids. <laughs> one cool thing we did was they positioned um, a whole bunch of stuntmen in the set, okay. uh, in the rooms, down the corridors, and we had to go and clear the um, the set. And we all had these airsoft. Guns that right. would fire pellets. Okay. Uh, and so, um, you know, we engaged each other in firefights. And if we, you know, if we cleared a room, we missed someone, then we got shot in the back or shot, you know. <laughs> so and that really kind of helped inform me as to, you know, kind of the reality that these uh, these characters were in.
0: Um, and this film sets up the concept. I mean, it obviously takes place in peach trees. And yeah. It's very much confined to peach trees, but it also sets up the, the wider world of Mega City 1. Um, have you had any conversations with. Alex and about where this could go.
3: Oh, a, a Alex has some really great ideas as to about as to where he wants to take the story. Um, and uh you know I'm just you know we're in the position where we've made a film that in my opinion is an instant cult classic. Mm. And I'm I couldn't be happier with it and you know if this is it if it's a one-off film and I seriously I'm like that's cool with me. <laughs> it's like okay, good. You know, uh, it, this has ticked a big box for yeah. me. Yeah, um, But you know, God, if we were to make more of these, I mean, I absolutely would. I'd love to come back and continue the t- telling the story of these characters.
0: Lovely man, the Carl Urban. And as I was leaving the interview with Carl Urban, I spotted big slab spot here at Comic Con. He's like a god around here, Nathan. Fillion, king of the 27%ers. Well,
1: it's funny you should mention that, Chris, because uh, one of Fillion's bosses and probably his favourite boss, Mr. Joss Whedon, was walking around the gas lamp quarter this morning just minding his own business oh, and uh, seemingly not mobbed. How, how can he not be mobbed at Comic Con? This guy rode the Avengers, Buffy, you know, he's done everything. There was Whedon just walking across the road, nobody nobody paying attention to him.
0: Yeah, It, it, it was probably his own little personal paradise. That's he amazing. And was he in town? Because he doesn't have anything uh, Avengers business, so he was in town. There was some. There was, there was a Firefly. He was thing in town. Today. He was in town for the uh, Firefly ten year reunion. Okay. Which, uh,
1: yeah. There, there was a panel on that, and uh, lots of tears apparently were shed by Brown. Tears were shed. And they were. Why were yeah. tears shed? Probably, I w- I think because the show isn't coming back ever. It's
0: not coming back.
1: No. Oh, my God. Sorry, Chris. Okay. I, I really hate to do this to you, but... it's ridiculous. No. That's no. ridiculous. Nick, you're getting into Buffy at the
2: moment. I am. I'm pretty much watching Buffy every day. Um, I'm on Series 5. No one cares. But um, <laughs> I am... Um, Kind of getting obsessed with all things Whedon. Uh, Firefly. I have only seen the pilot episode, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I haven't got through that. Worked my way through that yet.
0: James, uh, yeah, then. James has just looked a, a gog at Nick. And to be honest, I only made it through the pilot as well of Firefly, and I wasn't enamoured with it. And uh, you know, I like Joss Whedon as much as the next guy, who happens to be you. Who the, worships him, but... but There you know. is
1: there is a very good reason for that. The pilot is not very good, and that was the studio's fault, and I'm not going to go on about this, because I will literally go on
0: about this all night. There's, there's a vein in your forehead that's, th- that's throbbing right now. It's quite scary. I may actually hulk out about that. So you're Firefly. saying that if we if we stick with Firefly for the rest of the... What was it, three episodes? How many, how many did he get Thirteen in episodes <laughs> okay. in total. But was this something that... Yeah, we weren't there because we were busy, but is this something you would have wanted to see? Not until I've watched it, probably. um, (laughs) It
1: would have been strange. It would have been, I don't know if I I, would have been quite as emotional. I would have sold my own grandmother and probably still be crying now. But it doesn't matter because you were in Hall Age and you were happy. And what else did you see in Hall Age today? I was there for a big sci-fi day. I was there to see uh, Total Recall. Oh, okay. And this is then Wiseman's reboot. It is indeed starring Mr. Colin Farrell. Uh-huh. Jessica Biel Jessica Biel and Kate Beckinsale oh Kate Beckinsale if you've seen the trailers the clips they showed very very sort of similar stuff lots of Kate Beckinsale being action lady and trying to kill Colin Farrell not sure what he did to her you know <laughs> he just <did> the panel <laughs> one day just, she, got, she got angry and, there's, there's uh, a nice
0: touch actually in, in Total Recall that when Kate Beckinsale turns evil in Colin Farrell's you know weird secret agent world which may or may not be a fantasy uh, she switches from an American accent to a British accent she does, which reinforces this notion that Hollywood has that you know the the Brits are bad guys. But it's 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 a nice little touch, I think. It is it is a
1: fun little touch. It also plays into the whole thing about the movie, which is the United Federation of Britain are the sort of rich, privileged, sort of yes. decent living, and New Shanghai, which is at the bottom of the world, is sort of acid rain falling all the time, poverty stricken, terrible okay. place.
0: Awesome Hall today was uh, Ryan Johnson's twisty, turny time travel thriller Looper, in which. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt fights his older self, played by
1: Bruce Willis. He does, yeah, yeah. There's there's the basic concept that he is a hitman who gets his victims sent back by the mob in the future, so that he can basically make the victim disappear before they've been born, or at least before they can be recognised. I'm
0: already confused.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, the big thing that Johnson said in the panel, of course, was that he was treating it very much like Terminator, where time travel basically sets up the world but isn't so integral to it that it has to twist your noodle all the time. Okay. It's just about the characters. Was this
0: present Johnson
1: or future Johnson? This was, uh, this was present Johnson. I believe future Johnson had already been sent back with a hood on his head and been shot. Actually, <laughs> I, I think he was at the
2: Firefly reunion. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Bruce Willis has a great line. Where he, there's a scene on the dying. Where uh, the young version yeah. of the hero, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, faces the older version of himself, played by Bruce <laughs> Willis, and they're having a conversation about time travel. And then Bruce Willis just goes, "Forget all this time travel shit." <laughs> and it's the film is kind of like that. I think it, it doesn't really get bogged down in the details. It's it just you go with it.
0: I'm really looking
1: forward to that one. Good good panel. Who was on it? Uh, yeah yeah, not a a panel. It was uh, it was Mr. Johnson, of course. It was uh, Emily Blunt. And uh, also, uh, Mr. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Okay, fantastic. And um, he I showed should...
2: off his British accent. Really, it was diabolical. Um, he was he, <laughs> well. He, he he admitted it was diabolical. He didn't want to do it,
0: but right. uh, Emily Blunt made him, and then said it was terrible. She does a really good American accent in this. Uh, I've heard. He
1: uh, does. Uh, sadly, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the new Dick Van Dyke. What was it like? Was it a bit like that? Then? Was it? Yeah. Uh, it w- it was basically a call, Blimey, Governor. Here we go. <laughs>
0: yes. Worse than that, though. Apples and pears, frog and toad route. Also in highlights today was uh, Neil Blomkamp's <coughs> <coughs> Neil Blomkamp's Elysium, which is a, his follow-up to District 9, and we're really, really, really excited about this one. Uh, yeah, he brought seven
2: minutes of it to show, and it was kind of a mash-up of stuff from throughout the film. Uh, it's got very much a District 9y kind of look and feel to it. Very kind of a lot of uh, kind of cool future tech, spaceships and robots, and all kinds of stuff.
0: What's it about then?
2: So, Matt Damon plays an ordinary Joe in the year 2154, and uh, he basically gets exposed to a deadly dose of radiation, which means he is going to die in five days' time. And wow. uh, in the year 2154, uh, the world is divided up into rich and poor, and the rich all live off-world in a colony, a uh, kind of luxury colony, called Elysium. And only if you live in Elysium can you get medical care and attention. So he needs to get to Elysium in order to save his life. And to get to Elysium, he agrees to do a data heist, which involves (laughs) stealing information from William Fickner's brain. William Fickner's in this? William Fickner is in this film. Oh, amazing. He looks awesome in it. He has got two robot bodyguards and a red spaceship, which is outside the Hard Rock Cafe here. Oh, Uh, so the the Bugatti spaceship is... The Bugatti is is Fickner's. And so that just seems to be the beginning of the film, is this heist, which then gets Damon into even more trouble.
0: So is this... Uh, is Fickner just a cameo, do you, do you sense in this? Is a Dark Knight style? I, Hi, I'm Bill Fickner.
1: I Bye. think he's I think he's in a little bit more than that. Okay. I don't think he's just one scene. Uh, but uh, in true Chris Nolan style, his
0: mind is actually the scene of the crime. I like it. I love Bill Fickner. Anything anything he's in, I'm, I'm all for. Even Drive Angry. And one thing about this footage that was quite a relief to see was it looks
2: just as violent and crazy as District 9. Oh, great. It doesn't have a scene where uh, someone fires a pig at somebody <laughs> but uh, it does have a scene where Matt Damon rips a robot's head off okay. it has got a man exploding
0: how does Damon look in this because he's, he's bald and you know, there's an idea that he was going to be an action hero but I'm a little worried if he's irradiated and suffering from deadly cancer and that he won't be running around very much longer in this movie will he? I, I, he certainly seems to be Yeah, I think he's okay maybe
2: he's taking some futuristic pill yeah, uh, that, that helps him out. I don't know, but it it looks action packed. That's certainly not him sitting down.
0: And has uh, Charles de Copley's in this as well, isn't he? Who obviously was the star of District Nine. And he is bomb is, and button. he only pops up in a bit of the footage. But he seems to be
2: some kind of Black Ops agent who has a sword mm. and some kind of. There's a scene where Matt Damon gets in a fight with him, fires a huge laser cannon or something at him. And Shota Copley
0: activates an energy shield, which deflects it. It just—it looks very cool. He's playing a—he's playing a South African uh, mercenary called Kruger. If you have a bad guy, call him Kruger. That's what I say. And then, of course, there's Jodie uh, Foster, who's in it. She's effectively the big bad in this movie. She,
1: isn't she? is. She she. Uh, from what we could tell, she she again is not in the footage very much, but she seems to be either the administrator or some sort of higher up at Elysium. And
0: she basically sits behind a lot of screens and tells people what to do an awful lot. We're you know, obviously we're very excited about Elysium, so much so that you and I spoke to him uh, earlier on the day. Him, of course, being Neil Blomkamp and here are some of the highlights.
4: When when District Nine came here, we actually screened the entire film here. And then the movie came out like only a month or so after that screening. So it was very compressed. And no one on Earth had seen District Nine. Except for uh, except for Peter Jackson. Okay. You know, so, so no pressure him. <laughs> well, no. The po- yeah, exactly. The point is, like, we I just had no idea what to expect. Like, absolutely none. And also, yeah. I, I was completely untried and untested as a director. So my involvement in marketing or things like Comic Con was, you know, at zero. Yeah. And so from there, it just kind of it, so it started to gain traction, and then the film came out. So.
0: So it's a different kind of experience. So whereas District Nine was shot. With people just that didn't really know about it, they, they weren't really aware yeah, you were shooting the film. The radar, There's it. a lot of focus on this one, a lot of attention on. on yeah, this there year. seems to be
4: more than District Nine. Yeah, yeah.
0: Was that difficult to to function with people, especially when you we know, Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, people not, scrutinizing your every move?
4: No, 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 not at not at all. I mean, the way we made it was the same as District Nine. You know, it was it the the whether people are are interested in it or not, like in the in the kind of information, you know global sphere is different to how you go about shooting it day to day and and day to day shooting was the same as was the same as district nine it was just a a a nice uh very small group of people that just we just worked together
2: you had quite a rough shoot in district nine in south africa there was a lot of scrabbling around and, and doing it quite rough was this a more comfortable experience i take it you had bigger sets and more comfort
4: uh that, not, not necessarily I, I would say overall the comfort level on Elysium was probably slightly greater but not that much greater um, because it, it, it kind of was it, it was a similar process which is to take 30 million on District 9 and make it X you know on this film was to take like three times that budget and make it X yeah. again so in, in a lot of ways it's not really that different it's not really that different it's just kind of the same thing larger
0: you know? um, the Elysium panel hasn't taken place yet no. So we haven't seen any footage yet. So can you explain to us what Elysium actually is?
4: What what it actually is, is uh, an orbital space station that is, uh, that is a place that the rich of Earth have built and left and gone to, um, to just kind of leave a fairly diseased, foul, you know, disease-ridden planet behind them. And the kind of satire and realism in that. So mm. Elysium is actually the station.
0: So it seems to be continuing themes and preoccupations that that began in District 9, the idea of the haves and have-nots and fears about immigration and...
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is... uh, The thing is, for me, like, I I always think of myself as a visual artist before anything else, and um, I really think that the way that the film came about was out of visuals, just stuff in my head that I wanted to see, you know? The idea of the space station, to me, was a very interesting thing. Mm. Um, And the fact that the rich live up there and... uh, you know that they've left destitute Earth behind them is, is is just inherently more interesting as a concept than to not do that. Yeah. You know, so it's like I, n- I don't ever go out of my way to try to make films that are about these certain specific topics. It's just maybe a product of living in South Africa as a kid or just stuff that interests me. Yeah, you know. But, but it's it's. I mean, when you see the film, it's definitely th- there's there's as much popcorn as there is, uh, you know, politics. Yeah, <laughs> social issues. <laughs> Neil Blomkamp
0: there, and if you want to know more of what Neil said, then uh, pick up a future issue of Empire. I'm not going to say which issue of Empire, because, you know, rival ears may be listening. Mm. Anyway, last but not least, we headed to the Horton Plaza, which is a big kind of mall type thing here in San Diego for an exclusive screening of Item 47 which is Marvel's latest one-shot that's their series of short films that accompany the likes of Thor and Captain America and now the Avengers. It follows on from the Avengers and tells the tale of a couple played by Jesse Bradford and lovely Lizzie Kaplan who find a Chitari weapon and uh, go on a bank robbing spree. And I thought it was rather cute. Actually, it's, uh, it's more ambitious than their previous shorts, "The Consultant" and "A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Thor's Hammer." But yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Um, until we get a full-on
2: Shield movie, these are kind of short movies are the most we're seeing of Shield.
0: Yeah, yeah. The first two starred Clark Gregg as Agent Phil Coulson, but this one does not. No,
1: they have uh, they have an agent called Agent Sitwell who has actually been in Thor. And uh, briefly in the Avengers, and mm-hmm. he's played by uh, Maximiliano Hernandez. Hernandez.
0: Yes, absolutely. And his it was really cute. There was q after the screening, and his nephew and then his son came up and asked questions, which was which was very cute.
1: They did. I also thought it was quite clever that they both seemed to ask fairly
0: spoilery questions, which meant <laughs> they could get away with it because they were family. Do you think he was trying to basically egg them on to get... Is my dad going to be in The Avengers 2? <laughs> Is that essentially the question they were asking? I think that was his big plan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. There was a question. Will Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man appear in Avengers 2 or 3? And they just went, no. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else got a maybe, we'll see. But that got a definitive,
0: no. Was it Andrew Garfield
2: asking a question? <laughs> I think it was, yeah. He was <laughs> hanging upside down at the time.
0: <laughs> and what else? I mean, there was uh, something about well, who's going to be in Avengers 2. Will, will Ant-Man or Wasp mm. Be in the Avengers too, and and uh, hey, when you'll find out tomorrow? There was a hint, yeah. Anthony Brushnick from EW, who was moderating it, yeah, you know, was basically going, Oh well, you'll see tomorrow." And we know that Edgar Wright. Is on his way to San Diego. We or don't may know. may even be here already. Well, he's yeah, hinting. No. He's hinting very heavily on Twitter, right? That he's on he's his. way. He's leaving all kinds of cryptic clues. Yes, cryptic clues, as in, I'm going to San Diego. <laughs> no, to, that, to announce is, something about Ant Man. No,
2: he has not said anything <laughs> even close to that. But uh, yeah, the the the, the uh, hints seem to be stacking up, and uh, it is a strong possibility that tomorrow after the Iron Man three presentation in Hall H, yes, that uh, Edgar will appear. As the... if by magic, and a cloud down. <laughs> And uh, who knows? Uh, Maybe, maybe if that is the case, maybe it'll just be announcing that Ant Man is happening, finally happening after all these years. Maybe there will be something more. Maybe there will be. You know, he's been shooting visual effects tests. Maybe there'll be a little, a little tease of of what he's been up to there. Perhaps. Maybe there'll be a casting announcement.
0: Interesting. Uh, You have an interesting theory that it might be Edgar himself is playing Ant Man. I, I strongly believe that
2: Edgar will reveal that he is going to play Ant-Man himself. It'll be a, a Tony Stark-esque moment. <laughs> he will throw his notes to the to one side and announce to Hall H, I am Ant-Man. <laughs> and, then sp- and then fly around the room in a jetpack. <laughs> Edgar, if you're listening, please do this. There's still time to
0: buy a jetpack. That's true. This will be out tomorrow morning, so you have time to go There's out. plenty There's... of time to yeah. buy a jetpack. You can get a jetpack on, on in a booth on, sure the, on the Feige floor. Kevin Feige can get you one. Yeah. yeah, Feige can sort you out with that. Yeah, it'd be great. And then you can throw things at the audience. and Yeah. You know. <laughs> Or he, he can shrink himself down to the size of an <laughs> atom and go into someone's body and then deliver news straight that to That could be the film. Just film that and release it in cinemas. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're absolutely babbling now. So uh, I'm going to wrap it up. That is it for the day. Uh, join us tomorrow for our last Daily Comic Con podcast special when it's probably, I'm trying to rack my brains here, it's probably the biggest day in the Con's recent history. If not the Con's history, because tomorrow we have Peter Jackson here with... A lot of the cast of The Hobbit, and Unexpected Journey. We have Zack Snyder finally unfailing the first look at Man of Steel. We have uh, Pacific Rim with Guillermo del Toro, that massive giant robots fighting even more huge aliens. Quentin uh, Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino with Jango Unchained. And a little film called Iron Man 3. And we always know that Marvel pushed the boat out for Comic-Con. And they, I'm, I'm guessing there will be footage from Iron Man 3 tomorrow. And it usually uh, wows. So I, I'm really looking forward to it tomorrow. Uh, And we're also going to have some very special guests as well. Uh, So until then, it is goodbye from Nick. Goodbye. Uh, Goodbye from Blanco. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. Goodbye.